0: Hello! Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is the podcast where we watch and talk about the FX show, Legion. I would normally make a clock pun at this point, but if I did, we would be having a conversation about time, and I try never to have conversations about time.
1: Was Was that the pun?
0: Yeah, it wasn't a pun. It was just a statement of why there isn't a pun. On this particular Uh, podcast. Okay. I try never to have conversations about time.
1: uh Uh-huh. That was a line from the show, isn't it?
0: Yes, it was. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We are so extremely excited. Oh, my goodness.
1: We're so excited. It's season two, you
0: guys. We're back. We are back. The show is back. Everything's back. This is the greatest moment in the history of 2018.
1: We have, like microphones and recording stuff and like we don't sound like garbage anymore so that's all good too
0: yeah if you have not been listening to the bonus episodes and are just here for legion proper uh hey welcome to our new sound our sound sound is so much much better
1: better. (laughs) yep
0: yep that is thanks by the way to support from patrons you could be a patron of this podcast and our other podcast by supporting us at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I'm not going to make a pitch for that at the end of this episode because I just did it right now. But patron support is what gave us the audio equipment that allows us to sound so much better. Thank mm-hmm. you to all patrons.
1: All right. So season two.
0: Yes. What, we're... what, do, you, what do you think, Paul? Let's just say officially for listeners, for the record, we are talking today about the first episode of season two of Legion. We're calling this episode, arbitrarily, we're calling it White Rabbit.
1: It's officially called chapter nine.
0: Yes. I really like it.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow. It's, it's, it's a big change. It is. Like. We've been w- watched in the interim between seasons one and two. We watched Fargo.
0: We did all three seasons. All
1: three seasons. We d- did some bonus episodes on those. And so we know from previous, we know from Noah, Noah Hawley, mm-hmm. the writer of this show, that he changes between seasons. Like the f- tone between the s- three seasons of Fargo is very different from each other. And I'm guessing that the tones between the seasons of Legion is going to be the same.
0: Or it's going to be the same Sorry. in the sense of being the same, different in the
1: same in the sense of being different
0: yeah, absolutely, like we saw when we saw the trailer for season two, we mentioned this a little bit, and watching this episode, I feel totally confirmed in this looks familiar, like it's not a different show, it's no. probably and even Fargo, like there are differences, uh but there are connections also connections of characters and and theme and idea yes in this episode really the aesthetics of it is noticeably different from anything in season one and that's kind of what i think you meant and certainly what i mean about fargo that you can watch a shot from an episode of fargo and know what season it is i am guessing it's going to be the same here You could watch a single shot without any characters in it, and you can tell that this is not season one of Legion, it's season two of Legion, because the color scheme, the uh, things that we're, the images we're coming back to are just different in this season.
1: There's hexagons instead of circles. I know. I might talk about that more, but, like, it's really, like, significant that suddenly there's hexagons.
0: And we will see whether this... uh, continues, like maybe we're overstating, maybe it'll be very familiar visual language to season one. I'm guessing that there's going to be a noticeable difference in the visual language now that we're in season two. Absolutely. There certainly is a, I mean, again, there's continuity, but there's a different visual language here in season two in the first episode. So I think we should say that the ideas and images that we as clockworks have fixated on in season one, we're not going to insist on fixating them if they don't turn up again and aren't interesting in this season, like mm-hmm. red and the circles. We're not going to force that if it doesn't happen, yeah. right? absolutely. So, chapter nine of Legion that we are calling White Rabbit was directed by Tim Malentz, written by Noah Hawley and Nathaniel Halpern. Tim Mealentz directed one episode of season one. That was chapter five, What's on the Other Side, which you'll remember is the one where uh, David sang the creepiest cover of Rainbow Connection in the history of the universe. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of uh, time in the astral plane and inside David's head. Nathaniel Halpern wrote two episodes of season one. Chapter four, The Undiscovered, where... uh, There was that fight scene between uh, Carrie and Carrie, where Carrie got hurt and Carrie got hurt. Mm -hmm. And chapter six, A New Day, uh, which featured the Lenny dancing through David's mind and everything was in the mental clockworks. Noah Hawley. He's, of course, the creator and showrunner, the credited writer of Chapter 1, Happy Jack, and Chapter 8, If I Ruled the World. And we've heard from people, uh, unsurprisingly, that he also had a hand in plotting and even scripting of episodes that he was not credited as the writer.
1: Absolutely. His hand is in everything and on everything.
0: Yeah, and you can recognize that in a lot of ways, not the least, that, like, it feels like a Noah Hawley show.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So do you want to take us through the beat by beat of this episode, Jen? All
1: right. So we begin with Oliver and Lenny floating in a pool, talking about time. They laugh about being trapped, and we zoom out of a man's eye. He is in Paris, drinking tea. We zoom out again to Oliver in a new nightclub. A voiceover on a dark screen talks about a maze, a maze that's all in your head. Teeth chatter, and we see the word club over a neon door. Potonymy and Clark approach David in a room full of empty clothes. David is catatonic, but says, They are in the maze, and we see dozens of people with shattering teeth. Carrie runs along a hallway and ushers David's body along the same hallway. Welcome to Division 3. We cut to Sid Licking her hands and face, having switched bodies with a cat. Carrie comes in to tell her that they've found David.
0: All right. Um, my first thought about all this is just there is throughout this whole episode a lot of disorienting camera placement. And we start with it. The mm-hmm. first thing we see is a camera coming out of the water, up at the sky, but it's sideways, so the water line is vertical instead of horizontal. We literally don't know which way is up. Yeah, uh, and we see a reflection. Lenny is floating on the water, and we see her hand, but her hand is reflected, so we see it twice. And it's not—I just said we we're underwater, going up, but maybe we're above water and seeing a reflection of the sun. Like, yeah, it is not clear where we are. Yep, and then that camera placement leads to. A more literal, like, they're floating in a pool, where? Where is it? Even before we get zoom, the zoom out and we see that it's in someone's mind, we like, where are they? Yeah. And the, like.
1: And even, like, the oddness of, like, the pool is an odd shape. Yeah. It's not like a rectangle or circular pool, it's a, like a weird kind of flowery shape.
0: And that's like, this I don't know, maybe that's just a fancy pool, but. Yep. It's non-standard.
1: Yeah, exactly
0: and then the first like if you didn't catch it before a disembodied arm in a apparently a suit or a tuxedo gives Oliver a drink and then we get the overhead shot and there's no one else in the pool really establishing in case you missed it what we're seeing here isn't real yeah yeah. And they're,
1: they're wearing uh, black and white. Lenny's got the black and white bathing suit. Yeah. And Oliver's got black and white and gray bathing mm-hmm. trunks. So and is it's... that,
0: does the gray indicate that he has a level of moral ambiguity that Lenny doesn't?
1: I'm not sure. It, it, it's as a muddying of mm. him more than a muddying of her, which I found interesting.
0: We also see twice a shot of the sun with this quite pronounced circle around it. Let's mm-hmm. uh, so the circles again. And there's not a lot of circle imagery in this episode, but we start with one. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just because of circle imagery, but there's a lot less circle motif in this episode than we're used to. So I wonder, like the ring around the sun is reminiscent of David's orb. and mm. Maybe that is a, our first hint that Lenny and Oliver are trapped before they before Lenny says that they're trapped?
1: I thought it was like a pupil of an eye.
0: That's the other thing I have written down here. My other thought is we then zoom out of an eye and zoom out of an eye, and we have the sun with an eye and an iris around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the eye that we zoom out of,
1: we kind of know that from the meta information that that's the Shadow King, but we have actually no clue in this episode who that person is. Right. We he has um the Eiffel Tower is really pronounced in the background of where he is. So he's in Paris. The, or
0: is he? <laughs> yeah, or is he.
1: He's in well, whatever. We're meant to think that it's Paris. Right. We're, uh but the, the windows behind him are all triangles.
0: Hmm, I did not notice that.
1: Which triangles we've only seen before on David's shirts.
0: Oh. Oh yes, I did not notice that they were triangles. Yeah, that's
1: such a brief—it's such a brief moment. This guy drinking tea, sitting in front of a window with the Eiffel Tower.
0: So that's though, like that's a clue. If we didn't have any meta information, that we're looking at the Shadow King Mm -hmm. or something connected to him, like we know from meta information. That the actor who plays that man sitting is the same actor who's credited as Amal Farouk. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that that's who that is. Yeah. But if we're being really cagey, we don't actually know in text that who that's that who he is. is. But we have yeah. evidence even in the show through these triangles. That's interesting. Yeah. And then he's, we zoom out through his eye and he's wearing sunglasses. Yeah. Like the sunglasses I think are important because the eyes are all about like where people are and where there's something inside. hmm And so he's uh, guarded or uh, like we don't have access to what's inside. We, we've been granted access, but most people don't have it.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. And then we zoom out from him.
1: Yeah, to Oliver sitting at this club.
0: So is Oliver then the, like Oliver and the club is what we believe is real? I guess so. Then where is Amal Farouk? Like that's his body that we saw, but we, do we think that that's not literally his body because it's inside Oliver's head? Yeah. Right.
1: I don't think that's literally anywhere.
0: That's just meant to show us that inside Oliver is Farouk. hmm And inside Farouk is Oliver again. Yeah. So Oliver's body is the outermost layer, but Oliver's mind is trapped inside Farouk's mind.
1: Yes, that's what I think.
0: And then Same. what is Lenny, then, that is trapped inside... That's what
1: I don't understand, is because, like, is Lenny just an aspect of Farouk's personality? Lenny is Farouk, as far as we
0: know. Was last season. She was
1: (laughs) last season, exactly. Yeah. It's very unclear what Lenny is now. And, like, I'm just going to keep calling Lenny, like Aubrey Plaza Lenny, because I just don't know what else to call her, because she's not quite. I mean, she is the Shadow King, except maybe she's not. Unclear.
0: And then we have Oliver is in this club, and, like, I said, like, is Oliver the outermost layer? Is Oliver what's real? But then the club is like has club written over it in Mm -hmm. red letters yep that doesn't seem literal
1: no definitely not (laughs) no
0: is this a literal nightclub i don't think the rest of the episode allows me to believe that it is
1: yeah it's the only other place we see them yeah throughout this entire episode it's the only actual place that we see oliver and and uh and lenny and it's Lenny is there too, and so like she can't be outside. Yeah, she's all inside people's heads.
0: So what's this nightclub?
1: What exactly is this? Unclear. And
0: we zoom out the door of the nightclub in exactly the same way that we have zoomed out of Oliver's eye and out of
1: Mm -hmm. Bruck's eye. Yeah.
0: So I don't think this nightclub is literal, or if it is literal, like I mean, one of the things we constantly return to on the show is the show itself is surreal.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. And then one more th- thought that comes to me is we have the voiceover saying, Welcome to Madness. And then we immediately have uh, Carrie saying, Welcome to Division 3. Mm-hmm. So Division 3 is Madness.
1: Yeah, it seems like. Right? Yeah. Also, this voiceover just uh, uh, is John Hamm of uh, Madman fame
0: mad men
1: oh yes mad men i didn't even think of that
0: <laughs> i think that's probably a coincidence i think that's
1: probably a coincidence. <laughs> um he was doing this narration this this like imagine that you're in this maze and it really this time around is inviting the viewer us to be part of the madness like imagine the maze and of course you do you imagine what he says and then the maze is all in your brain. Welcome to madness. And like, this is your invitation into like, welcome to season two. You're with us in this madness. We're going to yeah. drive you mad the same way we're driving our characters
0: mad. And we had some voiceover in season one, character voiceover. And we always, you and I, wondered about it because it seemed uh, un, it seemed difficult to put a finger on what exactly who was speaking and when and from where. Mm-hmm. But this narrator is a different sort of thing.
1: Absolutely. This
0: narrator is talking to you, yes. being me. Yeah. Right? And we've had, I don't want to discount the possibility that one day we'll get a snap out and it'll turn out that the narrator is speaking to a character. hmm But I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. I don't think that's impossible, but that's not my theory. I think the narrator is narrating the show and speaking to you, the viewer.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: That's something we've seen in Fargo. Like Noah Hawley likes to have voiceover narrators making meta commentary directly addressing the viewer.
1: Yeah, breaking the fourth wall, really.
0: In Fargo, he only does it like once or twice a season. Uh, So we'll see whether the narrator continues to be a thing on season two of Legion or not. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. So what do
1: we think of Sid as the cat? I love it. (laughs) Me
0: too. I love it. Was it was
1: really weird, but really cool. And like, she's talking as the cat, except the, t- the, the cat's mouth isn't moving. So it's just just kind of like, her voice comes out of the cat.
0: I don't know. It's
1: unclear and, not... and scary Is it's like, please don't do that, basically. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think we're supposed to believe that she's making, like, she's meowing and is able to make those noises. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're seeing.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it's hilarious. And also, like, I love that Sid is practicing. Sid all through the first season yeah. was afraid of her powers until right near the end. And then now she's really deliberately using them and honing mm-hmm. them and developing them. And that is really cool. Yep, absolutely. It's also, like I said, this episode is very disorienting, especially for, like, we're coming back after a season break. Everything is different. Frankly, a lot of this episode is exposition, yeah. where they're just explaining to us what the status quo is now. But at the same time, they keep disorienting us enormously. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And this shot, the first shot we have of Sid of her like staring into space and then licking her hand and licking her brushing her face, and you're like, what is yeah. going on? Is
1: is Sid completely mad now? No, she's and just then, a cat. No, she's just a cat. Yeah. Um, So, anything else to say about this section?
0: Only that the chattering is really super creepy.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely.
0: And this whole episode, maybe this season, is about madness as a contagion.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So we want to think about, through this episode and through this season, I suspect, like the first episode, the first season was about David's madness and whether he was mad and whether like his mental illness or his psychic ability was what made the world seem irrational and is he delusional or not
2: Mm -hmm. this
0: is about i mean we have a little uh title card part two the madness of crowds is that part two meaning season two is about the madness of crowds
1: yeah
0: uh i think partly it is yeah and this is all about, like, madness can spread, delusion can spread, ideas are like viruses. Uh, mm, if season one was about uh, delusion as a parasite, season two is about delusion as a virus.
1: Yes, I agree with you. That is, that's a
0: good, really good point. We'll see whether that holds up, but I'm putting it out there, putting my money on, yes, it's going to.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's the title card right here, Part 2, The Madness of Crowds. Just to be clear, there was no Part 1.
0: We watched it like...
1: (laughs) how many? We watched it like three or four times now. There is nothing at the beginning saying Part 1 or Chapter 1 or anything. I really
0: thought I had just like taken my eyes off the screen or blinked, but no, I've gone back. No Part 1.
1: So we see a view from outside Division 3, zooming back into the inside. David is in a chair and unresponsive as Carrie attempts to revive him. A basket head and his mustachioed women (laughs) are watching. (laughs) Carrie takes off his helmet to connect with David, and they're surrounded by guns, men with guns. Female Carrie emerges, and the guns back down at her threat. David wakes and asks for waffles. Later, Ptonomy and David are in a restaurant, where Potonomy fills him in on where they are. The divisions. What division three does? They have joined division three to fight the real enemy, the Shadow King. David is confused and thinks it's only been a day, but before Patonymy can fully explain, Sid shows up. She lets him know that it has been a whole year and what she has been pining for him. They reconnect and go to the White Room to have lots of sex. <laughs> 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 All the sex. <laughs>
0: I, first of all, the title card, Legion, in the water that then is covered by a boat, which turns out to be a sushi boat.
1: Yeah, it isn't Again, sushi, it's a
0: waffle boat. It's a waffle boat. And there's waffles on the boat, but that style is like a sushi yeah. train or a sushi boat.
1: Yeah, there's restaurants that have those and they're usually, they're usually sushi, sushi restaurants.
0: restaurants. Um, anyway. Lots of disorienting happening again, Mm -hmm. that we have three different steps of, wait, where are we? Oh, we're somewhere else. Oh, no, we're somewhere else again.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Um, I think I would like to see in this season, uh, I'm kind of starting to feel like Carrie's badassery is a little informed.
2: Mm -hmm. We are
0: keep being told, like, (gasps) run away, but like she doesn't do anything that impressive. And even yeah. last season like she fought all the guys and got beat up and shot and hurt.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And so like
1: she has a lot of bravado but not a lot of follow through. So why would they back down? Yeah. I was really surprised that they backed down because of her.
0: I would like to see please in this season that actually in action and not just talked about.
1: Mhm. But before that, this helicopter shot of Division 3 and all of the windows is this big, like, hexagon uh, honeycomb shape. And it sounds, like, it sounds like there's a helicopter, but it sounds, like, buzzing. Mm. Like it's bees buzzing outside of a hive.
0: So the hexagons, I mean, let's say right now, uh, set designer. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't say right now because I didn't check that it's him again. The set designer for season one was Michael Wiley.
1: I believe it's him again.
0: It looks like him. Even though it's the sets are different, it looks like him and it looks actually a little bit like Pushing Daisies, which he was also the set designer for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but anyway, I, I assume it's him again. It is. Good. Yeah. Set designer Michael Wiley is doing amazing work again this season. Mm-hmm. New sets and new uh, locations. And they're once again packed with meaning with significance and the the hexagons like yep. do you want to talk about the hexagons for a second because
1: well i mean the shift from circles from this like infinite shape from this like yeah just a circle shape to something with sides with corners a harsher shape uh like reminiscent of bees and hives and it's just making us think very different things
0: than yeah. last season. And the circles uh have lots of meanings, but like what you said about infinite, like the circles are all that this peaceful psychedelic, like everything's all cool, man. We're all just one really if you just look at it from the right perspective.
1: And it was the X-Men symbol, like there were circles constantly with X's in them. And I haven't seen that at all this episode. We
0: that hexagons. we have hexagons, but no X's. And I like a lot the emphasis you're putting on honeycomb and hive mind, mm-hmm. and like we have, we haven't seen him yet in your recap, but uh, no, we have. Yeah, the General head. Fukuyama, Admiral Fukuyama, anyway, Admiral Fukuyama, Baskethead, and his three women who speak with him they are a hive mind mm-hmm. and they are living in a beehive yep. and there are honeycomb shapes all over and we're talking about groups instead of individuals and it's not a self-contained infinite thing of a mind is an infinite self-contained circle it's we're all joined together and what affects one affects everybody
1: yes exactly and at the same
0: time there are sides mhm like it's a six-sided figure yeah, yeah. i think Hexagons, man, they're all over this episode. Yep, I really like Petuny's glasses.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. whole a new outfit, look. his like cool pinstripes. I like that.
0: I like. I've always liked Petuny's look. Ah, uh, I like his new glasses. I think mm-hmm. they look great. He looks. I mean, and they're not only they are good looking, but they also signify that time has passed mm-hmm. and that his role has passed. Yes. He used to be holding a Tommy gun, and now he's wearing glasses. Yep. And that he is now, uh, he's now associated with the signifier that represents seeing. Mm-hmm. He's looking at things. And then later we see he's connected to investigations. So he's not the shooter, fighter in the signifiers that are associated with him. He's gained a new perspective and he's now the one who looks into things. Mm-hmm. And it also signifies that time has passed. He looks older with glasses because... Uh, it's the future to, da- to us and to David. Yeah. Things look different. And that brings me to the, our location in time has always been ambiguous. But this season feels like it's set further in the future than the last season did. Mm-hmm. Like if last season was somewhere in the 60s or 70s, this season seems like it's somewhere in the 70s or 80s instead. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, i love so, have... go. Uh,
1: just, Potonomy explains the divisions and says, after the Lazarus Affair, which, what's that?
0: Yeah, I just have in my notes, what is the ladder- Lazarus Affair?
1: I'm hoping we'll find out eventually.
0: This is a show that gives us answers, so I'm really assuming that we will find out eventually.
1: I mean, Lazarus is... The story of Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is a figure of, like, being raised from the dead. And so I'm guessing it has something to do with Farouk.
0: Or someone who was supposed or to be dead who and isn't. Yeah, exactly. I think not Farouk. I mean, maybe. I think not Farouk because although Farouk has been around for a long time, he wasn't on their radar as a threat until after.
1: Yes, that's possibly
0: true. So I feel like the Lazarus affair, though, is, you know, someone should have been dead and was alive and it freaked everyone out. Yeah. I like in their conversation here uh, a lot that David is simultaneously acting as this straight man audience surrogate. He's like, was there a guy with a basket on his head? <laughs> yeah. Right? And he's also at the same time the weirdest source of weirdness. hmm Right? He's both the sane man in a world gone mad, and also the mad point of view, unreliable narrator through whom all our madness is filtered. Yes. That's Absolutely. quite a trick mm-hmm. to make him both of those things at once. Yep. Um, but he totally is.
1: Mm-hmm. And this time we're straight up hearing the voices in his head. Yeah. Like straight up conversations. He says, like, D- do you think he knows? What do you As, think about that? Yeah. I think... Well, we, we thought what we weren't sure in previous seasons was like, is he hearing other people or is he hearing himself?
0: And now at least two of those voices are definitely both him. Yeah. They're both voiced by Dan Stevens. He doesn't have a British accent anymore. Yeah. The one of the voices. Maybe is, they will eventually. Is that because that voice isn't his rational mind or is it just because they decided that it's time to make them all sound like David?
1: Hmm. I'm sure.
0: Um, but the two voices talking in his head, I love that in this episode. I hope they keep it up the whole season.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I really like it. I did not recognize at first, on first watch, in this moment, I didn't recognize that those were both voices in David's head.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Uh, but eventually I did in this episode on the first watch, and then watching it again, I obviously recognized them. Um, just point out that the division logos when uh Potonomy is telling about the divisions and we see kind of a reenactment of the divisions on the chalkboard, the division logos are all inside hexagons. Hmm. I division didn't one, that. division two, division three are hexagons. Hmm. Um and also in terms of the set design, on the wall in this scene and then throughout this whole episode, there's this wall pattern of like uh rectangles inside rectangles inside rectangles. Mm. And you see that wall pattern in real life. I'm sure there's a name for it. I tried to look it up and couldn't find it. But
2: yeah.
0: it looks like a maze, but it's not a maze. Hmm. It's a maze with no answer. It's a maze right. that's all dead ends.
1: Right. Uh, that's an interesting way of looking at it.
2: Yeah, that's how I look at it. <laughs>
1: um... Is the voice on the PA still Jermaine Clement? No. No, right? Definitely not. No. Yeah. It doesn't have the same accent.
0: No, but Jermaine can do vo- accents. No.
1: Oh yes. But it's I don't think it's him.
0: No. I don't think so. And it wouldn't make sense that it would be because we're not no. in Summerland that he built anymore. Exactly. I wonder whether we're gonna meet the voice in the on the PA though.
1: Yes, I wonder that too.
0: Um
1: And the voice in the PA talking about, like, the symptoms of the madness or whatever. And it's, like, repeating sounds, repeating sounds. Like, is that actually repeating? Is that repeating for, like, do we as the audience think that we're hearing that repeated and feel like we're going mad? Like, we're
0: really invited
1: into the madness
0: in this episode. I feel like one of the things that makes Noah Hawley great Uh, That I really like about him is he says, yeah, let's go for it, right? Yeah. And we know that from watching the show. We also know it from talking to people involved in the show. That's one of the things that Denny Gordon really said uh, talking about episode seven. Both that the silent film was just like a sudden idea, but also that she said, his approach to her as a director of an episode was like, run with it. You got an idea, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wonder whether repeating sounds, repeating sounds was just something that struck him as funny. And they were like, okay, do it. Yeah. Or maybe there's a deeper significance. I mean,
1: there's both because it can be both without being that, but like, it is just like, it's inviting you into the madness. It's the, the title cards I realize now of like not having a number one when you hadn't have a, Two, you're like, did I see a one? I'm sure I saw a one. And you didn't. You I, didn't see it.
0: And they're just creating paranoia creating, in the audience.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, I totally. I like this thing you're, you keep bringing up of inviting us into the madness, for sure. Uh, I like a lot the moment when David is like, can I kiss you? She's like, you'd better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now they can kind of just use that white room without. It being infected by the Shadow King.
0: Well, apparently. Apparently. Later on in this very episode, we'll see maybe it. Yeah, maybe it's there's still, is. still trouble there. Yeah. But uh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Then in that scene, one more little thing in that scene with all the sex. There's one point where they're uh, up against a wall, but from the way it's shot. It seems like they're lying down,
1: yeah, and
0: then we zoom out and we see that they're standing on the bed and against a wall. Yes. It's just one more example of the camera shots are all disorienting in terms of like in the most literal sense of disorienting, like yeah. we don't know which way we are oriented in space.
1: hmm absolutely. so Sid explains that they've been chasing Oliver and come close to finding him. We see a montage of Oliver on the run and people becoming infected with chattering teeth. Sid, after saying this, Sid walks to Melanie's room. Melanie is a shadow of her former self. They discuss their men and how they disappear. Sid pours her tea but is optimistic about David and Oliver both returning. But Melanie says things won't be the same. After Sid leaves... Melanie does the same vapor drugs that David used to do, this time coming from an elephant. As she goes upside down, there's a man on crutches with no feet in her room. We only see him upside down, and maybe he has a goat head?
0: Maybe. That's where I'm talking <laughs> All right. First of all, I want to talk about the catalyst before we move forward. Yes. Um, the catalyst is what they call, is what Sid names the like, the weird effect of people freezing and their teeth chatter.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: okay, uh, we, there's, there's lots to say about that, but very first of all, a catalyst is a substance that incites a chemical reaction without itself undergoing permanent change. Mm-hmm. So, even in the most colloquial sense, like a catalyst isn't a thing or isn't the point. A catalyst is a thing that causes something else. So, if the catalyst is these people get uh, paralyzed and their teeth chatter, what is that a catalyst for? What is going to happen? next Mm
2: -hmm.
0: what is that causing right no i'm asking you jan explain (laughs) the show to me
1: (laughs) uh the end of the world yeah okay that's my theory
0: i accept your theory
1: i'm thinking like really what what does the shadow king want power he wants to be godlike that's what was established in the previous season and so if he can get as many people as possible to be infected, that's the catalyst for him becoming God. Yeah. They could all be under his control.
0: Hmm Uh The chattery teeth, as I said, is like so incredibly so creepy. creepy, so creepy. And I love I love that Sid just puts it like... break some of the mystery of like... Except for that creepy thing they do with their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. That's right there with, was there a guy with a basket on his head? Of, mm. Like telling us that they're aware of how weird their world they're living in is. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah.
1: We have in the previous scene that we talked about, Sid talks about waiting for the kettle to boil. And if she can hold her breath while the kettle boils, it means David is alive. And her kettle is white. And we go into Melanie's room, and Melanie's kettle is about to boil, and it's this bright red kettle. Hmm. And Melanie is, doesn't – and when the kettle boils, Melanie doesn't care. She doesn't get up to get it. Sid has to get it for her.
0: Yeah, I wonder – I have written down, like, what is the symbolism of kettles in this episode?
1: I think that it's the difference between someone who is waiting and someone who has stopped waiting. And that's spelled out almost explicitly by Melanie is that she has completely given up on all of her and is, I mean, she's just completely different. She's lost all of her confidence and all yeah. of her leadership.
0: She's a lot like the Melody in the mental clockworks, frankly. Yes, exactly. Who like is really, uh, I was going to say flighty, but it, that's not right. But she's, what's ever is the opposite of driven.
1: <laughs> yeah. Aimless.
0: Yeah. But if the kettle for Sid, the kettle represents the symbol of David's possible return. Mm -hmm. She can hold her breath literally. She's holding her breath for him to come back. So she can hold her breath until the kettle blows. That means she's capable of waiting until he returns safely. Mm -hmm. And Melanie, the fact that the kettle blows and she doesn't react is like she doesn't care whether Oliver comes back. Mm -hmm. Is there a third, like, I was trying to think. In narrative, we expect three beats. Mm. And the third of that might be the vapor that uh, comes out of the elephant, which is shaped like a kettle's spout. Yes. And Melanie puts her face right in and inhales it. And it's not a whistling kettle, but it is vapor that that's what she's waiting for instead. Yes, you may be right. And elephants are associated with lots of things. But the first thing that I think of with elephants is elephants never forget. Elephants are connected to memory, Mm. and she's using an elephant to uh, self-medicate and to make herself forget instead of, so it's connecting to the idea of memory and that she wants not to remember. Yeah. But even the way that she is not remembering is a symbol of memory.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. then she turns upside down and there's the weird goat head guy.
0: Yeah, you really, really want to talk about the goat head guy. No, and I like... just
1: want to say, like, it's there. <laughs> I don't think, like, we have no idea what it is. We don't know what's going on. We Maybe will find out eventually. But, like, I just want to point out, like, you may have missed it because it turns all upside down. But there's some weird crap going on there.
0: <laughs> I, when I say you really want to talk about it, I'm to, like... From the time we first watched it until now, you have brought that up a lot outside of (laughs) recording the podcast. You're like, what is up with this goat head guy? (laughs) And I'm just like, I haven't even the beginnings of a thought, of a theory, of an idea. I have no idea what this goat head guy is. (laughs) So I, I, maybe we'll find out in another episode and then I'll have things to say. Yeah. I am just completely lost. There are few things. Most things in this episode, I can kind of flounder and come up with something that might be right. It's it's, it's a stab in the dark. Goat head on crutches. I have no idea.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> um. There's hexagon. Melanie's table mm-hmm. is a hexagon. Yep. And there's a hexagon pattern on her wall in yep. her room. And I also like. This is not the first time in the last season, Melanie also made an explicit connection between David and Oliver. Yeah. And here we are again. And it's not just because of the Shadow King that David and Oliver are alike. Like she sees a connection between them Mm -hmm. and therefore she sees a connection between herself and Sid. And she makes that very explicit. Like us, our men, we're in the same boat. Yeah. And Sid does not want that connection to exist.
1: No, not at all. So we move on with a title card that says Chapter Three Delusions. Now just to point out before I get into the recap, this says Chapter Three, the first one said part two. Right. So that's different. We get another John Hamm vo- voiceover. The story of Zhuang Zhu, a monk who isn't sure whether he's a butterfly or a monk. We see an egg crack with a chicken side and the narrator tells the story of Albert A., who isn't sure if his leg is really his leg, and eventually cuts it off. Another egg with a slimy black beast cracks open. Lenny grabs the chick, kills it, and the black slimy creature feeds on it. Then Lenny picks up the creature and kisses it. The narrator talks of psychosis. Then David sees flashes of the orb and the question uh, remains of What Do You Remember? So. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. This is a whole, like, just completely storytelling part. This isn't anything to do with the actual plot of what's going on with David. This is just like, here's a story time.
0: Yeah. And we've talked in previous season about... Uh, this show, and Noah Holly in Fargo also, likes to just let me tell you a story, have a character tell you a story that I'm not going to explain. There is actually some explanation of the stories in this section.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not a ton. Yep. But there is some. And we're left to make sense of what these stories mean and how they're related to the rest of the episode. So, Zhang Zhu, this is a story that I have been familiar with before, outside of... Uh, Legion, how about you? Uh,
1: it sounded familiar, yeah.
0: So the idea of the philosopher who dreamed he was a butterfly and then when he woke up, he didn't know whether he was a butterfly dreaming he was a philosopher or a philosopher dreaming he was a butterfly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, usually, when that story gets told, it's a story about uh, like existentialism and the uh, unreliability of knowledge and that you can't ever know what's real. Mm-hmm. In the context of this episode, though, it's, in the con- it's presented as an example of delusion. Yeah. Of, like, this idea comes into his head and then he can't get rid of it. And we're presented in this, in the context of this narration, we're presented the, his story as if, well, of course he's a person pr- who's dreaming he's a butterfly. Yeah. The uncertainty about who he is is a delusion, is this idea that could become psychosis. Like, we're not actually invited to wonder about the nature of reality. We're invited to wonder about the nature of what... The difference between what is known and what is believed but untrue, right?
1: Yeah, which is really highlighted by the next story of the guy who cuts his leg off, that, like, it really was his leg. Yeah. There's there's no chance that it wasn't his leg. It was really gross that he cut it off.
0: And putting those two stories right next to each other also really emphasizes that, like, no, Zhuang Zhu was Zhuang Zhu. He was not a butterfly. Yeah. He dreamed he was a butterfly. I've never, act- like, the story has always been presented to me before as, like, who could ever know which one he really was. Mm-hmm. Like, it's Zen. It's a yeah. Zen story. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting in this, for this season and for the context of this show, that, like, there is a real reality that's real, mm-hmm. that's unquestionable. And the only, que- the only thing that is questionable is whether you recognize what's real. Yes. And that's part of, like, drawing us into madness, maybe, is in the last season, we didn't ever have grounding, or we very rarely had grounding on what was real. hmm And this season is telling us very explicitly, or fairly explicitly, like, there is a real that's real, and if you don't recognize it, you're delusional. Right? Yes. And then when you experience the show and don't recognize it, the show has told you that that means you're delusional.
1: Yep. One of the voiceovers of, like, beware of ideas that are not your own. And us watching this show are watching ideas that are not our own.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, like, it went past, actually, and I didn't comment on it. But that beware of ideas that are not your own happens right before Sid is the cat. So, Sid. No, it doesn't. It happens more than once. Oh, okay. Uh, We have beware of ideas that are not your own. And then we have immediately Sid as the cat. I am 90% sure. Maybe I'm wrong. But I wrote it down as things that happened right next to each other at the time as I was watching it. And I think it happens more than once. Okay. But Sid is having ideas that are the cat's ideas. Mm -hmm. Because the cat is in her body. And then... What is fiction if not someone else's ideas being placed in your head?
1: Yeah, exactly. And,
0: like, we have, here's a maze. There's a maze in your head. The narration has put a maze in your mind. It's an idea that's not your own. Right? Yep. So you're totally, like, experiencing as the audience ideas that are not your own through this whole episode. And through all, anytime you uh, have fiction. (laughs) Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I also just like in terms of disorienting shots, we have the foreground with the slimy creature and Lenny in the deep background, and her hand appears right above. It makes her I feel like her arms is like insanely long.
0: Well, and she reaches up, and her hand comes from above. Yeah. So as she reaches up, her hand comes from above. So she's oriented. As if her up for her and up for the chick are the same, but then they're not because she's reaching down to the chick while she's reaching up. So the chick is upside down from her perspective Mm -hmm. or she's upside down from its. It's very disorienting and I love it. Yeah. And we have all the thing with chick and the Lenny and the creature is like in this white space without any uh, feature, this featureless white space. Reminiscent of the white space that the red box was in back in season seven, in episode, back in episode seven in season one. Mm -hmm. But it's this place without any, uh, orienting features. So where are we? When are we? What's up? What's down? What's close? Well, it's all washout. It's a, it's a space without any orienting, uh, features.
1: There's also that when he's talking to both Potonomy and Sid, they'll be, they're in like that restaurant thing, but then it shows them on a gray background. Right. With no sense of space. Like that's not where they are.
0: Yeah. It just
1: blanks out completely what's behind them.
0: That's weird. Which is
1: also really disorienting.
0: So this whole scene with the egg and the thing the black thing Mm -hmm. this uh apparently is a possibly an allusion to twin peaks i Mm. haven't seen what it's alluding to but apparently in twin peaks there was a part where a creature hatched out of an egg and a black thing came and it crawled into uh the mouth of what's her name laura palmer laura palmer's This must be in the, revi- in the newest season of Twin Peaks because I haven't seen it. Uh, I didn't see the end of, season- of the last season of the first thing of Twin Peaks either. But apparently there's a lot of similarity of like a black creature that hatches out of an egg in a surreal scape that represents evil mm-hmm. and is crawling into the mouth of a young female protagonist. Now. Uh, does Lenny eat that you said she kisses it? And I watched it again after I, I read this, uh, after I'd watched this episode a couple of times, I stumbled upon a reaction to this episode. I usually try to avoid those because I want to give my reaction un, uh, unaffected by other people's reactions as much as it seems fair. But I found this one talking about the black thing uh, that referenced that it was an allusion to Twin Peaks, possibly. And they didn't know whether she was eating it or kissing it. And Mm -hmm. when I watched it again, I can see where it's not totally clear.
1: It cuts away the minute she puts it to her mouth.
0: Yeah. So is she kissing it or eating it? Mm hmm Anyway. If you viewers, if you listeners to this podcast know Twin Peaks better than we do, uh, let us know whether you buy this theory that I can't remember where I read it.
1: <laughs> all right. That was a little convoluted, but yes. Yeah. We're all, we've all gone a little mad.
0: <laughs> we do. We have and we do sometimes.
1: So Clark comes and sits with David in the restaurant. I'm calling it a restaurant, even though it's part of Division 3. Who knows it's like what it is? like their cafeteria cafeteria, but it also has boats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Clark comes and sits with David in the restaurant. David tries to discuss Farouk, and Clark says that he's born in the late eighteen, early eighteen hundreds, or came to be in the early eighteen hundreds. Yeah. But then he segues into talking about lies. When David asks if he thinks that he's lying, Clark answers with a story about soap operas that makes it clear that he does think so. David goes to see Fuki, Admiral Fukuyama. He attempts to read their mind, but they're not able to be read. And the three women and the basket head are called the organizing principle. <laughs> I like baskethead.
0: Me too. Keep it up.
1: David wants to help and they send him to go see Carrie, but not before saying that Oliver will be killed and Farouk's body must be destroyed too. They're both looking for the body. In Carrie's lab, David is put inside a tank to boost his abilities. Meanwhile, Sid and Potonomy talk in an elevator. Sid is still trusting and optimistic, but Potonomy saw some memories in David and doesn't believe him, thinking the Shadow King might still have a hold on him.
0: I. Okay, to start with, mm-hmm. Clark with that ice cream <laughs> is killer. That is magnificent. It's one of the best moments in TV of, like... <laughs> it's so good. I love it. Um, Just in case you... If you've watched the episode, you remember it. But he's like, whenever someone was an evil twin or had amnesia, we used to eat ice cream. Hold on a second. And then a waiter brings him ice cream. He has doesn't order it. He obviously saw far enough ahead... To order it before any of this conversation happened and it arrives just in time. And he, then he holds a spoon above it and is like, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, yep. man, that's fantastic mm-hmm. and magnificent. It's a bit of a sick burn. <laughs> it is the sickest of burns. <laughs> Speaking of sick burns, do you notice in the scene we either see Clark from his unburned side in profile Or see him straight on with his unburned side in shadow. We don't ever see his burned side in profile. And we don't ever see him straight on with his unburned side clear. Mm -hmm. When we're looking right at him, we see him burned and disfigured. And when we are seeing him from the side, we don't see any sign of his burns.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And there's a real, like, it is a trope of a two-faced character or a character with scars, and you show the unscarred side when they're being good and truthful, and you show the scarred side as their dark side. I'm not sure that we're doing anything that simple here.
1: No, I don't think so either.
0: The scarred side is... uh, complicated for clark because it is also in addition to being like his scarred side that possibly we might want to read as his dark side which i kind of hate when a visual scar is a signifier of evil yep in this his scars are a signifier of uh david having hurt him yes david's the one who gave him those scars uh vicarious sort of
1: Mm mm-hmm uh they're a visual symbol of his distrust in David.
0: They're a visual symbol of his distrust in David and of his reasons that he should distrust David. Yeah. And of the way that he has been harmed by his contact with David. Mm-hmm. So maybe we see him from his unscarred side when he is uh, presenting his trusting face to David, and then when he reveals that he doesn't trust David, we see him straight on.
1: hmm That may be true.
0: But his, yeah. And there's real shadows splitting his face in half when we're watching him straight on. Yeah. Anyway.
1: What do you think of the organizing principle? I'm not sure. The way that it's
0: presented, like, you said it as if uh, that's the final answer and who Admiral Fukuyama is. I read that scene as just like, we are the machine that bleeds, the organizing principle. I don't think the organizing principle is any more there his identity than any other of the stuff that he said.
1: Mm, okay,
0: maybe I misheard, misunderstood. No, I, you might be right. I just we'll will have to see whether that's what pans out. That's not how I read it. Yeah. Which doesn't mean I disagree with you. It's just not what I read it when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but, like, it's like Admiral Fukuyama is the guy with the basket on his head, and then the three
0: In the credits, women... they're, ver, they're credited as Vermilion 1, Vermilion 2, and Vermilion 3. Hmm. They're not, nothing in the actual text names them that, but they're credited yeah. that as that. Interesting. I okay so what do I think about what do I think about them I think many things about them and yeah. the first one is just that I love the premise a lot yes uh everything about it yeah from me the too. the basket head is the one thinking and they're his voice uh is kind of what we're basically said but they're not like uh they have their own agency, because when it first said, he said, master says that we blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So they, he telepathically communicates with them, but they aren't like extensions of his body. They somehow have will of their own. Uh, I love their voice and the sound of it just on an aesthetic, per- in an aesthetic sense that, like, everything, uh, like, women and mustaches. Models, like not just women, but like yeah. uh uh conventionally beautiful models mm-hmm. with mustaches. Yep. Uh with and in this scene with like giant magnifying lenses in front of their faces. Yeah, it's and very they're awesome, standing on hexagons. Yes, they are. And their voice that sounds just like Shell from Portal.
1: Not Shell. Gladys. No, sorry.
0: Like Gladys from Portal. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, their voice reminds me a lot of the Portal games, especially Portal 1.
0: Yeah, Portal before Gladys gets uh, revealed Yeah, and she's at her most robotic. Mm-hmm. I love the sound of it. I love everything about Admiral Fukuyama in both conception yeah. and execution. The, the basket on his head, the absurdity of both the basket yeah. and the mustaches are just like, they're comical and uh, absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh and I like that about. And
1: the, the room itself is absurd. It's like got like basically paintings on the wall that are lit up that are like really off putting. You have David standing at what looks like the top of a staircase, but the stair, but he, it's once again disorienting. Like it's like he's floating in midair.
0: Yeah. And the basket head is in front of trees, but the, yeah. the ground is. Like the the landscape that is on the wall behind Baskethead is shot from above. Mm-hmm. So we also, it, it's like they're both in midair.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: then there's a sk- cityscape behind one of the Vermilions. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's also
0: like a weirdly not, oriented. Yeah. I like thematically, like they're all about... We've, we've mentioned already the seasons about hive minds and in high, and collective identities, and so they literalize that. that mm-hmm. Like, this is four people who are one person. Yeah. The fact that they're multiple like that means that David can't read their mind. And it also means, taking the title of the show, Legion, uh, David is a person who has many people. And mm-hmm. in the comics, he uh, has multiple personality disorder. In the show, he's schizophrenic, which is not... Exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe he isn't schizophrenic, but he has voices in his head that speak to each other. Mm -hmm. Maybe he will turn out to have multiple personalities also in his head. Uh, In any case, he's a person who's more than one person. And Admiral Fukuyama is a person who's more than one person. And Oliver is a person who's more than one person. Mm -hmm. And we have these different conceptions of being multiple.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love it. Yep. Um, I kind of skated past it, but this, this part has the scene with, uh, they tell David to take off his clothes and Carrie emerges from Carrie's body. <laughs> and is that this scene? We haven't. <laughs> yeah, it is.
0: Okay. You're not going to come back to that again. No. Uh, the, so. So, basically, I mean, I didn't
1: really get it the first time I watched it, but it's like, they're like, get naked, and so female Carrie is like, oh, I would like to see that as myself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely like, ha Carrie wants to see David naked, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Um, she just
1: completely lacks in social graces. She
0: sure does. Backing up a bit from that, still in the room with Admiral Fukiyama though, We talked a lot in season one about what exactly is the nature of the psychic abilities. Like, Mm -hmm. is it bodily or mental? And we have an answer here: Mm. uh, that the Shadow King's abilities are genetic, meaning of the genes, physical, not mental. Yeah. So his body, even though he's not in it, his body is where his power lies, and you have to do something with his body, prevent him from finding it, prevent him from. And we also, uh, in season one where is it where is it what are they looking for and we get an answer to it in the first episode of season two because this show likes to give us answers which is what happens when you have answers then you can give them oh
1: yeah i love it i love that we get an answer right away that what what they're looking for what they've been looking for all along has been his body
0: we get throughout the show like there's a lot of things that don't make sense that are confusing and disorienting and mm-hmm. yet I can accept them all because I the things that uh, they're never jerking us around
1: yeah exactly
0: like the act there's a fairly straightforward plot underneath all of that that gives us some orientation despite all the disorientation yeah we're in a race like this ep, this David says we're in a race and that seems to be at least at first, the status quo of this season. They're racing to find uh, Farouk's body. Maybe that won't be the whole season. Maybe it'll be a couple of episodes. Maybe it'll be all season. Who knows? But, like, we have a recognizable story Mm -hmm. structure that all this madness can play around in this story structure that is a solid story structure, and we can trust that they're not jerking us around, they're not lying to us. They're not giving us red herrings that lead nowhere. Red herrings that lead nowhere lead somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, and then we get the amplification chamber mm-hmm. that Carrie with a C built. And like, I feel like it's, uh, it's Cerebro.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? It's like a mix between Cerebro and the sensory deprivation chamber in Fringe.
1: Yep, yeah.
0: Which is not the first time that the show has kind of reminded me of Fringe, one of the shows that we didn't mention as a show that yeah. to connect this with, but like the title card, the the font even of mm. Legion is reminiscent, and the way that it it'll be like Clockworks. Uh, when we were at Clockworks, there were, there was an orientation text on the screen that was reminiscent of Fringe,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then just all the craziness.
1: Yep i agree so back in that tank david floats outside of his body through division three and then into the sky then suddenly in the dance club hundreds of people dance and david oliver and lenny have a dance off there's a bald man in the in the club who david never quite sees back in the lab carrie is also dancing Mm. David has teleported himself out of the tank and into a hallway where where Sid finds him. They go to her room, where she's upset that he's keeping secrets from her and worried that he'll leave again. He gives her a compass that always points her back to him. As they sleep, David is in the orb again. This time, Sid appears, but it's an older version of her. She, she can't speak, but writes, writes in the air and tells him, help him, Farouk, find his body. David wanders forward, and his costume changes again to back to his pajamas, but he's in the club again, and the song White Rabbit plays as he sees the bald man, Lenny, and Oliver. Lenny strokes his face, and then he's back in the bedroom, standing up beside the bed as Sid sleeps. And we cut to credits. So a lot happens there.
0: A lot happens there. This is where I noticed there's a lot of green in this episode, Mm. compared to all the red in season one. Green and yellow. Green and yellow. And, like, it seems like the, um, the restaurant, as we call it, is kind of red. But yeah. a lot of Division 3 is green, mm. and things are accented in green,
2: mm-hmm. and there's
0: a lot of important green, and the sensory deprivation tank is lit with green light, and things are green yeah. in this episode. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we talk about, um, we didn't, hey? The, when... Potonomy, is that this, that in this section when Potonomy and Sid are on the elevator and Potonomy asks if Sid still trusts him. Oh,
1: whoops! We, we I mentioned that last section. And you did. I forgot to, forgot to talk about it.
0: That's okay. Can we talk? Do you have anything to say about it?
1: Not necessarily just that, like Potonomy, who sees memory, is seeing bits, but he's not seeing the whole, and so somehow his mem- David's memory is is shielded from him again.
0: And last season. Potonomy always suspected that David was trying to block his memory, but David wasn't. And in this season, I think he is. Yeah, I think so I think David is consciously trying to hide his memory from Botonomy, and is a powerful enough psychic that he mostly can. Yeah. And Sid says, he's my man, which I don't love as a line, but lots of people do. (laughs) Yeah. In the, when David is like... Going out of the chamber and we see lots of flashes. There's a flash of a building. And I didn't catch it the first time, but uh, there's someone falling off the building. Yeah. We saw that in the trailer.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Not, we saw it more close up than we see it in this episode. But, like, there's someone falling off that building. Yeah. I think we're coming back to that building and what is going on there Mm -hmm. in the next episode or so. Yeah. And then what do we, uh... Do we have anything to say? Do we make anything of the, like, kids playing Duck, Duck, Goose? What's that about?
1: Yeah, it feels like he's doing a tour through Division 3, and there's children there. Like, children are mentioned earlier in the episode as well. Children can't be inf- infected because they're too young.
0: Yeah, no one these knows are the, why. Ch-
1: these are the children of the people who are infected. Oh, yeah. Is my guess. It could be. And so, like, they go to, like... Show like these scenes, like these outdoor scenes with people with a bunch of people who are infected, like the library and things like that. And so, there would be children there, so those children need to be taken care of. So, I think that that's what Division Three is doing. Hmm.
0: Okay, talking buy it. Who is the bald monk guy?
1: Who is the bald monk guy? I feel like he's the red herring shadow king. Like, is that Amal Farouk somehow as well? Is that uh, the devil with the yellow eyes looking normal?
0: Hmm. <laughs> you know? Maybe.
1: Is that. Yeah. Or is that someone completely different?
0: He has like these two black lines on his forehead. Mm-hmm. And, like. I don't recognize him from anything. No. There are not a lot of characters on Legion who come from the comics. Like Mm -hmm. in the first season, only David the Shadow King and sort of Professor X by who didn't even really appear. Yeah. So I don't think I don't recognize him from the comics. I don't know Legion comics the best, though I know them a lot better than I did when we watched the pilot of this show because we've read a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think it's fruitless to try to hunt the uh, monk with two lines on his forehead up in the comics. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, he's a mystery.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say my theory. Here's my theory. Say your theory. He is one of David's personalities in his head. Hmm. He is the new Lenny, but he's just part of David. Right. And he was, is there to... Help him defeat the Shadow King again. Okay. That's my theory.
0: It's now recorded, so if it's wrong, everyone will be able to laugh at you for saying such an outlandish As theory.
1: rightly so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like it. I think that sounds plausible. And I kind of, uh, yeah. I, I don't want to say, I thought the same thing, I just didn't say it. But that sounds right to me, actually, also.
1: Hmm. I think we're meant to think that he's maybe the Shadow King, but I think he's not.
0: I'm not sure we're meant to think he's the Shadow King, because he's very, like, uh, he's mysterious, but he's not threatening.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: He is not threatening. So the dance sequence.
1: The dance sequence, I mean, first of all, amazing.
0: Secondly, amazing.
1: Yeah. It's so good and so bizarre, but so cool. But what is it? Okay. Because Carrie starts dancing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First of all. Okay. 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 <laughs> the dance sequence is amazing. And then Carrie starts joining in and that knocks it up a notch from amazing to phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. it's, I don't know why that is the thing that pushes it over from being great to being the best thing. Yeah. But it is. It, it makes it the best. The yeah. Carrie also starts dancing. Amazing, and it connects it to that episode, and it connects us to in uh, in the Undiscovered, also written by Nathaniel Halpern, by the way. Chapter four is where there's that fight scene, and Carrie, female Carrie, gets beat up, and male Carrie gets beat up, and uh, Oliver is dancing. Yeah. So Oliver dances. While Carrie feels what Carrie is feeling. And then here we have Carrie dancing while Oliver is dancing. Like there's suddenly this connection between Carrie and Oliver instead of between Carrie and Carrie.
1: I think the connection between Carrie and David.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Is
1: actually. that we have the the Shadow King is infecting people and this is David is infecting Carrie. It's David's like, psychic is so strong that Carrie can't help but dance along with David.
0: Hmm, yeah.
1: And time is wonky here because is this happening in the past or is this happening right now?
0: Because it seems to be happening in the nightclub and what uh, patonomy saw in David's memory was David in the club with Oliver and Lenny dancing. Mm-hmm. So is this a memory that David's reliving? And if it is, like, we started off being like, is the nightclub a literal nightclub? And we kind of both thought no. Yeah. So I don't want, I don't think that uh, three literal human bodies were in a literal nightclub having a dance-off. No. I don't think that's a thing that happened. Definitely not. They're on the
1: astral plane.
0: They're on the astral plane, and this represents, like, are they, is this a dance battle? Are they in contest between each other? And it seems to be three-sided. Yeah. Like, are Lenny and Oliver on the same side in this dance contest against David? Or are they all three striving with each other? Well, it seems like, at first, it's
1: like, David does his dance, Oliver does his dance that's kind of, like imitating and so it's like I can do that better than you. Yeah. And they both stop and watch Lenny do her dance, which is phenomenally better than both of them.
0: And is instrumented differently. Yes. She gets exactly. violins. She gets strings mm-hmm. and they don't. So it's if you'd missed it, I'm gonna make it really clear for you. I being like uh Jeff Russo doing the score. In case you're not following this, I'm gonna make it really clear for you by adding a new instrument. Lenny is not like Oliver and David. Yep. Her part in this dance is not equal to the other 2 Mm-hmm. And so I guess, like, I have written down who wins the dance off, but Lenny does, right?
1: But David does, because he makes the, like, cross with his arm and makes it all go away.
0: Yeah. And they all get windy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's it's... going on. <laughs> what is even happening?
0: I think it symbolizes like a a battle of wills between the three of them. And I'm not sure in this battle of wills whether Oliver is representing Oliver Mm. or is representing the Shadow King. Yeah. And I'm not sure what Lanny's representing.
1: Yeah. Same.
0: So that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So David gives Sid this... Uh, compass, yeah, hexagon shaped, always points back to him, which is really sweet and, not, and and distinguishes him from Oliver. Totally, and distinguishes like he's Melanie may think that they're the same, but they're not the same.
0: Because David doesn't just say I'll come back to you; he gives her the means by which she can find him. I yeah. love this compass, and I love what it means for their relationship, and I love what it means symbolically for David as a character because yeah. just it's important. The distinction between, trust me, I'll come back to you, and here is how you can find me, yeah. is about putting agency in Sid's hands. Exactly. I love it.
1: And, of course, it gives us this huge symbol to, to, in the next scene, that feels like a flashback to the orb. We see Sid, and she's wearing it. Yeah. For the first time, we've seen her wear it. And so we know that this is... Despite the fact that this feels like a flashback to when he first went into the orb, she's not the same Cid as, yeah. as back then.
0: I don't think I caught that she was wearing it. Oh, no? Oh. But yeah. She's, big, wearing,
1: she's wearing the compass. Huge,
0: if true. Yes. Uh, that's great. That's a great detail. Man.
1: Um, and that's how you know she's older. And, I mean, like, her face is older. It keeps flashing this weird light that shows her face being old and young at the same time.
0: Before, I want to say two things before we talk about Sid in the Orb. Yes, um, go ahead. Uh, and that is, one, when David teleports out of the thing, uh, the voiceover, British voiceover guy says, New symptom, a strong urge to confess. David feels a strong urge to confess. Yes. We don't know that as the voiceover speaks, but we kind of see as it goes forward that she th- she says he's keeping secrets and he says he's not, but he wants to tell her and he can't. And so yeah. is the strong urge to confess a new symptom because David feels it and he is causing the symptoms? Yeah. Like you said, he's also infecting people? Yeah. Or is that a red herring or does it mean that he's affected?
1: Unsure. <laughs>
0: Um, and the other thing I really want to point out, I very much want to point out before we move on is when David and Sid fall asleep, we see a shot of them cuddling in the white room and we see the black slimy thing crawling towards him, Mm -hmm. uh, towards the bed. Yeah, We heard, so the questions about that are. In previous times, when we saw rotten things in the astral plane, that was the Shadow King. Yeah. It was in David's mind, but not David. Right? Yeah. The questions we had on first watch about that are the questions I have once again. Is that slimy thing David or not David? Yeah. We heard earlier that that slimy thing is a delusion. Is a representation a symbolic representation of an idea Mm -hmm. oh no sorry we heard that that slimy thing is a symbolic representation of a delusion yes a delusion is an idea Mm -hmm. so if there's an idea in David's head that's coming towards him that is a delusional idea what is that delusional idea and then immediately we see that Sid told him to help find Farouk's body yeah is that the delusion
1: Yes.
2: That's I my question know. for you.
1: I think it is. I don't think this is really said, But maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. And she would have reasons. Like, I, he would trust her. Yeah. And maybe she has good reasons.
0: Well, and we already, I mean, if we see that stopping Farouk means killing Oliver, maybe that's enough of a reason.
2: Yeah.
1: And here's the thing. Time travel. Who called it? I called it. Who called it? it. I called it.
0: (laughs) You called it. Congratulations.
1: I'm feeling pretty good because it seems like there's time travel and I've been
0: saying that for like seven episodes. (laughs) Or maybe you haven't said it yet. (gasps) Maybe I haven't said it yet. (laughs) (laughs) You absolutely called time travel and good for you.
1: I felt really good when it was time travel or felt really good when it was someone from the future. Because that still lends credence to my theory that when when David gets sucked into the orb in the deep background, there's someone in red, and I think it's Sid.
0: And now it definitely now could be because could be. Sid is the one who sucked him into the orb,
1: even though she isn't wearing red in
0: that scene. Yeah,
1: I still think that could have been
0: her. Could have been. We, I mean, we. I'm not sure if we can trust future Sid. No. One point in favor of trusting her, for some reason, is that she seems very sad.
1: Yeah, and she draws a big heart.
0: Yeah, that's sweet. She loves him. Um, the rotating light yeah. on Sid's face throughout this scene is just a very cool effect. Yeah, very cool effect. It makes her seem very shifting. It makes us wonder whether we can trust her because she isn't, her face keeps changing. Mm-hmm. And it also makes her seem like she's out of time because she... Like you said, I think already, you definitely said it off mic to me.
1: Yeah, I just said it, yeah. Old she young looks older time.
0: and younger. When the light is coming from the left, she looks older. When mm-hmm. the light is coming from the right, she looks younger. Yeah. We talked off mic about whether that's a special uh, computer effect or not. I feel like it's a makeup effect.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right.
0: But anyway, it does definitely. Like, she does not always look the same. Her face doesn't look the same. She always looks sad, though. She
1: does always look sad.
2: Yeah. And then she tells him to
0: help. She tells David, help him. When they found David in the club, the first thing he said was, help them. Yeah. It was them, not him. But maybe that was because he was slurring his words. Yeah. And then he says, they're stuck in the maze. At the time, I assumed... Like, on first watch, when he first said that, I assumed that he was referring to Oliver and Lenny. Mm-hmm. But, so maybe he has to help Fruk because that's the only way of helping Oliver and Lenny?
1: I thought that them was all the people in the club. Interesting. Are fixed, teeth are chattering. They're stuck in the maze.
0: Huh. I assumed because we just came out of hearing uh, that Lenny and Oliver were trapped. And then David says, help them, they're stuck in the maze. Hmm. I thought he was referring to them.
2: Interesting.
1: Huh. I assume because the next shot we see is them rescuing all the, or not rescuing, but finding all the thousands of people or hundreds of people with the shattering teeth that he was referring Hmm. to them.
0: And then the credits of this season are on a black background instead of a white background. Yes,
1: things are different.
0: I don't know if that has a greater significance than just... It looks different this season because yeah. it's different this season. We didn't
1: talk about the white rabbit part. Oh,
0: yeah. What do you think about that?
1: He goes through the club again and we really see the bald monk guy again. We see uh, Lenny and we see Oliver. And Lenny is like there and then she's behind him and they're in profile together. And it feels like she's about to kiss him. And then he's creepily standing over Sid Mm -hmm. In, like, the creepiest way possible, like, all in shadow and stuff. But he changes between those two scenes. He goes from with Sid in, like, the orb sort of thing with her in the future, and he walks forward and he's back in his pajamas again.
0: Yeah. So it feels like
1: it's present. It feels like it's more like a dream that's happening right now to him as opposed to him Thinking about the
0: past. And always the question is what is happening now and what is happening then when you have psychics and psychic projections and like.
2: Yeah.
0: Because I read the whole orb as a flashback that David is thinking about this flashback so we look back at it. Yeah. But now, but, you know, we should complicate that a bit by saying it's not impossible that he's also time traveling or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. I don't think so, but...
1: I think maybe he is because when he says, I'm in the present,
0: Mm. (laughs) I'm right
1: now. That's a clue to this is happening now.
0: The present is the present of this episode. Yeah. Whoa.
1: Yep. Whoa.
0: And then he's walking through like when he's in the nightclub in his pajamas. That's clearly not the same time as when he's dabbing the dance off in the nightclub. Yeah. But it's the same nightclub. Or it seems to be.
1: Yeah, it's some kind of astral plane nightclub. my theory.
2: Yeah. Ugh.
1: There's so much. We've missed, like, a ton of things, even just to talk about, that I've noticed. I don't even know. You wanted to talk about the music, as you often do. I used to talk about the clothing. I don't know. There's not a lot as much to say this season, or at least this episode for this season, beside the fact that Melanie, who was always in white, is now in black. Uh, Sid, who was always in red and black, is now in yellow. Hmm.
0: I'm
1: not sure exactly what that means, but it is a significant change in their wardrobe.
0: And maybe we'll develop ideas of what it means in future episodes, mm-hmm. or maybe not. Yeah. When, in terms of music, while well, David and Sid are in the white room together doing the things that they do in the white room together. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm making eyebrows, but you can't see it, so I had to make a noise. The music that plays is We Love You by the Rolling Stones. There's a couple of things about that. One is we heard the Rolling Stones' uh, uh, She Comes in Colors in the first episode associated with Sid. Uh, And with their, like, their love story starts with a Rolling, is the soundtrack of their love story starts with a Rolling Stones song. And here we have it again. Um, And We Love You by the Rolling Stones. Just a bit of trivia about it. It's a Rolling Stones song and the background singers, the backup singers are John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Huh. uh, Who happened to be recording down the hall. (laughs) <laughs> and Mick Jagger asked them to come sing on this song. And they were like, sure. So they sing, they're the backup singers. That's cool. And the words to We Love You are, we don't care if you only love we. We love you. And we hope that you will love we too. We love they. We love they. Ah. <laughs> we don't care if you hound we. And love is all around. We can't. We love can't get our minds off. We love you. You will never win. We, Your uniforms don't fit. We, we forget the place we're in because we love you. Uh, I love you. I love you. And I hope that you won't prove wrong, too. We love you. We do. We do. We love you. We do.
2: Hmm. There's
0: a few parts of that to draw attention to. We don't hear all those lyrics on the screen, but they're the lyrics to the song. And I just want to draw attention to uh, I hope that you won't prove wrong, too. This episode is all about whether David is him. Yep. And uh, whether he's going to prove untrustworthy to Sid, and in the end he does, or maybe he doesn't. He proves untrustworthy to present Sid so that he can be trustworthy to future Sid, I guess.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's also the, like, your uniforms don't fit, we forget the place we're in all through both seasons has been about David not fitting in and people not fitting in and mutants not fitting in and Sid not fitting in and the two of them don't fit in and they forget the place they're in because they're in the astral plane instead of in the division three and David doesn't know where he is and we don't know what time it is. And that's all very appropriate and fitting. Mm -hmm. So that's that later on while Melanie is getting high We hear, I would for you by Jane's Addiction. And the lyrics to that go, oh baby, I'm so tired. The man from the government, the man from the tax board, the man from the public school, the man owns the golden rule, yeah. I'm everybody's slave, I made you my slave. You said, this I do for you. If I would help to give the world back what it gave, then I would, I would for you. And then there's more, but uh, it's an interesting song to go along with the idea that Melanie has given up hope. Mm -hmm. The idea that Melanie is doesn't care to wait for Oliver anymore because the song is all about "I would do anything for you." Mm -hmm. I'm everybody's slave. I made you my slave. Uh, Is that? I feel like the I. Is associated with Melanie. Yeah. And we have this, again, just like the elephant that symbolizes memory while she's saying she doesn't remember, while she's trying not to remember, and she's saying I'm not going to wait for him anymore, but the song is saying I would for you, for you. She's still uh, absolutely waiting for and devoted to Oliver.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: And then... While David is in the club in his pajamas, we hear the Jefferson Starship song "White Rabbit," performed by show creator Noah Hawley and uh, show composer Jeff Russo. So that's the the voice singing is, is mostly Noah Hawley, I think,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I recognized it as Noah Hawley from just interviews and stuff. And then when I Uh, On Twitter, someone asked Jeff Russo whether that was him and Noah Hawley, and he said, yes, it was. So I didn't recognize Jeff Russo. I don't know if he's maybe, I mean, he must be one of the vocalists. I only recognized it as one singer.
1: Yeah, I'm sure.
0: But he, Jeff Russo, has confirmed on Twitter that that's Mm -hmm. him and Noah Hawley singing.
1: Yeah. And White Rabbit is like a very psychedelic song it's very like it's a anthem of psychedelia
0: mm-hmm. and the, what we have here the words are pretty easy to understand because they're barely singing them they're mostly just saying them mm-hmm. in this scene one pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small and the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all go ask alice when she's 10 feet tall And if you go chasing rabbits and you know you're going to fall, tell him a hookah-smoking caterpillar has given you the call and call Alice when she was just small. Of course, um, Alice in Wonderland is a classic text. It predates surrealism as an artistic movement and it far predates psychedelic uh, drugs and psychedelic movement as a term or a word even.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But it really resonates with psychedelia and surrealism. It's a story that psychedelic art has really picked up on because Mm -hmm. it's a story of nonsense and strange things that don't and juxtaposition of images that uh, you make sense of, which is what surreal art is all about. Yeah. And it's this song is all about. Pills, one pill makes you large, and it's, you know, about drugs, mm-hmm. uh, fairly transparently about drugs. Yeah. Uh,
1: in the first season that we talk about, there's a line about Alice down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And this is, again, Alice, and I feel like he's following the right rabbit, in the he's following that monk, or mm-hmm. that bald guy who looks monkish.
0: Yeah, we keep calling him a monk, but. I don't
1: know, yeah, he just looks like a monk to me.
0: Yeah. We named this episode after White Rabbit because this is like, we are back. I I felt like uh, as the ending song of the show, it's announcing to us, the viewers, that we're back down the rabbit hole.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, we usually talk about uh, stories told in every episode. I want to just point out uh, the story. We have the story of the maze in the desert that the narrator tells us. Mm -hmm. We've basically covered that one, I think. What we want to say about it, Um, Patonomy tells David the story of the divisions, and that's uh, more than we've known about the divisions up till now. Mm -hmm. And it, I think, it orients Patonomy again, as I've said, as like a. It orients him differently from how he was oriented in the first season. He's the one who's explaining things and establishing things like he was in the very beginning of the first season, but gets less throughout the first season. Now he's kind of back in that even more than he ever was. Mm -hmm. Telling David what's what. Sid tells David the story of the Catalyst. We hear the story of Zhang Zhu, who dreamt he was a butterfly, and Albert A., who had an idea that his right leg didn't belong to him, also told by the narrator. Clark tells the story about his mother and ice cream.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. We talked about that scene being important, but in terms of a story that Clark tells, like it's about uh, interpreting the world through fiction. Yeah. And why is it important in that story that his mother had leukemia and died afterwards? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, Admiral Fukuyama tells a story. When we were a boy, this machine got, was put in our head. Uh, and it's a story of, like, torture and suffering. Mm-hmm. Connected maybe, when I put it these stories next to each other, and they are next to each other in the show too, connected maybe to Clark and his pain and suffering when he was a child. And that put ideas in his head. And maybe that's connected also to beware ideas that aren't yours that are put in your head.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Whole lot of stories. This is an exposition heavy. Yes, a
1: very exposition heavy. A lot of stories of what happened
0: in the background. Yeah. Any other thoughts we want to have about this episode? I know we both have more, but. Uh, Yeah,
1: I've been, as you've been talking, I've been thinking more about the scene with Sid in the orb, mm
0: -hmm.
1: and David, past David, who, like, is standing on the balcony and just gets sucked into the orb, doesn't know anything about Farouk's body, Mm. but the David who's standing there having a conversation with Sid, she draws a body with a question mark, and he's like, oh, the body, Farouk's body. Right. So I think this is somehow still the present, David's David actual present. David, in
0: the present of the episode, David does know all about Fruik's body. Yeah. And he seemed, but David keeps, his voice talking to himself, keeps being like, do they know? I think he knows. No, he doesn't know. Yeah. What is it that he thinks that they might know if not this?
1: That is possible. Lots to think about. Lots Lots to find out through. I'm excited for the next episode. I'm excited for the rest of this season. And this episode of Clockworks has gone on very long. So how about we wrap her up?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're going to... We're recording this on a Saturday. Tomorrow of the recording, we're going to be at a local uh, sci-fi convention giving a panel discussion about Legion. And we're going to try and record it. So... uh, That might show up as an extra live episode of Clockworks in your feed soon.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely have an episode about the next episode of Legion when it airs. If you want to contact us about this show, share your thoughts, your theories, help us out on the parts. Do you know what goat head man on crutches? You have a theory about that? You can talk to us on Twitter, at ClockworksCast. That's where we are most active. Mm-hmm. You could send us an email if what you have to say is longer than a tweet or you want it to be private and you could do that at clockworkscast at gmail.com. We're on other places too and that'll be in the show notes. If you like this show, please rate and review it so that we can get more people listening, because the more listeners we have, the more they'll be able to share their great ideas, and just the better it'll be for everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, anything else we say at the end? I said I wasn't going to uh, promote Patreon, because <laughs> I did at the beginning.
1: No, I think that's it. All right.
0: All right. Well, then, I've been Paul Moffitt. I've been
1: Jan Moffitt.
0: Goodbye.